All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. This is a Web Canopy Studio production. What's up, guys? It's Tim. We have a great guest for you today, Paul Biznasty Bisonette. Now, obviously, you guys know Paul. He's a funny guy. Uh, but what John and I were mostly interested in was to see what's he like behind the scenes, how did he get to where he is, and where is he going next? What's in the future for Paul Bisonette? So really good conversation, really some open, honest uh, answers from him and, and some candid discussion on some hot topics. So uh, without further ado, here's Paul Bisonette. We're just going to get into it. Paul Bissonnette's joining us. Paul, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, after a nice little hike, got uh, got outside. Fresh air seems to be a, a good recipe for success these days. Where do you? Are you in Arizona? I am. Yeah, I've been. Uh, it's a pretty good place to get stuck during all this. Um, right beforehand, I was in Miami, Florida, with my girlfriend, who who currently lives in Gainesville. She's going to move here, but of course, with everything that's going down, it's been delayed. And uh, how are you guys making out during all this? My life hasn't changed too much. You know me. I just have my kids. We homeschool most of them, so it's not that much of a big transition. It's just the the getting of food and the getting of things kind of put a little issue for us. But other than that, it hasn't changed too, too much. I would say of of anything, this is going to, moving forward after this is all over, I think we're going to start appreciating a lot more. As, oh, yeah. uh, as human beings. And the reason I say that is just like, just even simple things like going to a sporting event. And I mean, of course, you know, healthcare has been backed up because of this. Maybe we'll concentrate more dollars and allocate more money towards that. I mean, even, I mean, even education, as far as like, you know, you're, you, you know, where these kids are going to school and, and a lot of things you don't even consider when this happens. You know, a lot of kids, especially in the United States, some of their, their best, if not only meals of the day are coming while they're at school. Yeah, so it's uh, it's tough times for this economy. And, uh, you know, as time goes on, I mean, the level of guilt that, you know, we've been very fortunate, right? We've, you know, we played in the NHL, we were able to save up a few bucks, but there's a lot of people who are who are hurting right now. So it's one of those things where it's, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, to, to think of any positives in the moment. But going forward, I think we're going to be all right. So what were you doing? We've been trying to work out this interview for a few days, you were doing a player relief fund. 
yeah. said your, your work. What, what's that all about? If, I don't know if you can talk about it yet, but. Honest to God, I was just scrolling on Twitter when all this started picking up steam, trying to gather as much information as possible. And, and of course, there was a little bit of a delay on the AHL and NHL side of things based on, you know, of course, the fact that they can keep these teams afloat for, you know, they could probably last a year doing what, what was happening right now. But ECHL made the wise decision right away. They're like, we need to shut up shop because, you know, the amount of money that they would have been paying in rent for the players yeah. would have been eaten away. Then, of course, refunding tickets and then paying the players as well. Some of these teams would have had to fold. Now, some of them are probably in decent situations and they probably could afford to pay the players. We will, We don't need to go there, but when I saw that and, and right away that they wouldn't be being paid, I said, you know, maybe as a podcast, we could step up and do something. So I started reaching out to brands um, in, in order to try to get this ECHL player relief fund going. And I think that, that we are going to execute six brands where we roll out these YouTube videos of interviews we've already done. And each brand is going to throw in $10,000 into this player relief fund. Now, there's a few brands that might allocate the money to different people in need. Uh, one being like, you know, first responders in, in the, the medical field, which I'm sure the players are have no problem with, but after doing a t-shirt and a GoFundMe, I would hope that our podcast would be able to raise and, and thanks to Barstool and all the people behind the scenes making this work, Erica uh, Nardini, our CEO. And of course, uh, can I brand sponsor? Uh, we got Boyke's Tim Stapleton's company jumping on board and then a few other big players. And, uh, you know, just to, if we can get a hundred grand for these guys, along with the ECHL player relief fund on their end, which is going to be, I believe, 200,000. And if, and then maybe even the owner stepping up and putting a little pool together, I think we can get close to what these guys would have been paid and then they will get a hundred percent of their salaries reimbursed. Yeah. Cause a lot of people don't understand when you're in the coast, you're, you're not making any money at all. I think they make 25, $35,000 a year. You get, usually they get their house paid for some of them it's even less, uh, even less than that. that like some guys are making like 18 grand like yeah, a, so. after taxes right so yep. um some of the players have actually stood up and said hey listen i come from money or, or i'll be okay either make sure those other guys get paid first and or forfeit my my money and and, and just give it to the players who have families and who are maybe a little bit older or some guys who are up to their neck in student loans so we're going to try to help out that small area and then once we do that if this thing keeps going we're going to try to help out more and more so we're in a position where we can do so and in all of our fans who end up you know putting money into the gofundme or, or buying merchandise in order to to get proceeds going to these guys uh even uh, new amsterdam stepped up and they helped out the bartenders guild Oh, that's Which, nice. yeah. Well, all, yeah, so they, they actually true. purchased the shirts as well. So 100% of, of everything goes right to the Bartenders Guild. And I think we've sold over 4,500 shirts so far. So that's, that's great. That's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's so it's just cool. A, that's so cool, man. Good for you. See, he's not just a pretty face, you guys. He's actually doing good work. Well, this once again, this is people behind the scenes doing all the work, like your boy Tim here, how yeah. you just kind of show up with your pretty face and he's cutting all the clips and, and, and making this thing grow on social media. Instead That's of true. homeschooling is uh, 10 kids. Well, I can't, I can't do everything. I have another one on the way, by the way. We have five oh another one on the way. So life is good at the Scott household. What can I say? You're, start a, you're trying to start your own team. Yes, I am. All and girls team, though. Correct. Now, have you gotten wind on, on what the next one's going to be? No, we always play a surprise game. So we wait until the day, the day she's born. I'm just assuming it's going to be a girl. Tim, are you also helping out with the the Catholic podcast, the Christian podcast? Excuse me. Yeah, no, no, not much. It's it's run through the same office, but uh, I don't really play a hand in that one too much. Tim is a good Catholic boy, though. 
I was intrigued to hear that you were starting that. Good for you. And I know at the, where were we at the ball hockey tournament? Some uh, hotel, uh, it was a- Scotiabank? Scotiabank, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the ball hockey to support uh, cancer. cancer. And uh, yeah. and you were you were talking about all this and, you, and you're enjoying it? I am, you know, faith's a big part of my life. We, we take it serious in this household and it's just another kind of part of me. I feel like I have two parts of me. One's hockey, one's my faith and- it's just another avenue for me to kind of talk about my life. I love talking. So that, that's what we do. And it's going okay. It's not as, you know, popular as the hockey one. But I honestly, I dig it a little bit more than the hockey one sometimes. Do, do you find that um, playing the game the way you did ha- made you at one point more reactional, even in real life situations? And Is that part of the reason that you've gotten stronger in your faith where you're giving things a lot more thought before you react to them? Um, gosh, what a what a – Tough question. I don't think I, I am pretty reactive. I don't think that has anything to do with my, my faith side. That was kind of pushed by my wife, to be honest with you. Before I met her, I was completely not faithful whatsoever. I didn't go to church. I didn't know what a church was. So that just happened throughout my, uh, my career, really. But no, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still pretty reactive. Even with my kids, they do something. I like snap. For somebody, for somebody who's not very religious, like I don't practice it a lot. I do believe in God. Uh, what's the one benefit that you've gotten from it, like your your own benefit from from getting becoming more involved with your faith? I think I'm not as self centered as I used to be. I I know there's a, a greater purpose, and it's not just me. So whenever I, I come to a situation, I used to think, how can this benefit me? How can I take advantage of this? How can I make this work for me? But now I, I come into it, I go, well, how can I make this work for everyone else? How can I help my wife out? How can I help my family out? Now, I'm definitely living for other people now. Is and that I, uh, is that a lot more fulfilling when you finally start acting on it? This is I feel like I'm on the hot hot seat here, but yeah, no, it is. It honestly is. I know I'm, I'm trying doing... to learn as much as you are right here. I know I kind of flipped the switch on you asking you all the questions, no, but I was it, I was genuinely intrigued uh, when, when you when you did start it, and, and congratulations that you've been executing it. Tim or uh, Biz, we got to sit down. I'm going to convert you. I tell you what, if you believe in God, that's the first step. Okay, and the reason I asked you is because when I was playing with Shane Doan, he was extremely into his faith. Obviously, still is. Um, and he would do these uh, these little group sessions, and sometimes I would join, and it, it, it was just very interesting to see how he would perceive it, and how other people would perceive the Bible, and and what he how he interpreted it, and and we would talk about it, and, and it, I, you know I was always interested in it. Um, I never really got highly involved, but uh, as I said, I do believe in God, and hey, maybe uh, maybe when I stop start popping out kids, things will change to even another level. Your priorities change when you start having to take care of other people and realize, well, maybe you know what. They get, they got to take the right path here to get to heaven one day. So it's a big responsibility. I love that, Biz. I love that. So, Biz, I, I had a couple of questions for you. I mean, not the usual hockey ones. I, I'm fascinated with how you got to where you are right now because you came up the same way I did. You played, you know, in the AHL for a while. You were in and out of the hockey world, like NHL lineup for how many years did you, did you play in the show? I was there about five and a half. Uh, five and I played, a half. Played, uh, I played about a half a year up with Pittsburgh the year they won the Stanley cup. I was of course not there for the, the run, but uh, I was waiting for the ring in the mailbox. I uh, never got it, but uh, technically a member. If, if you're, if I was playing baseball, I would have got a ring. They gave one to Thorburn for St. Louis. Did you see that? He never played a game the whole season. And then they give him a, a ring, and he's carrying around the cup at center ice. Like now, I'm uh, a big Thorburn Hart. fan, and, and I was actually excited for him. So uh, he was he was my captain with the Saginaw Spirit. Played with him um, my first Saginaw. year. Funny. Played in Saginaw, and my first year in the OHL was in Thunder Bay. 
Really? Oh, Jesus, people are going to scald me. North Bay, excuse me. North Taylor Pyatt's from Thunder Bay. North Bay Centennials. And uh, I played there as a 16-year-old. And they actually got a team back there after, uh, the I believe, the Brampton Battalion moved back uh, after they gassed the city. Or they gassed the uh, They gassed the whole city. They, they gassed the team and sent them to Saginaw. They sold them. They sold out. And Saginaw's not doing very well. I think they might even lost their team, too. I can't remember. No, no, they're doing great. You're talking That's about Flint. Come on, oh, watch your mouth. Saginaw Spirit are rolling right now. I drive through Saginaw every time I go to Toronto or Detroit, and I just hold my breath when I drive through Saginaw. That, that's the motto. Hold your breath when you drive through Saginaw. Shots fired, buddy. <laughs> anyway. But anyways, well, so I, I'm just when – you, when your career was ending, when you were wrapping it up, did you have any idea what you were gonna, how you were going to transition? Was this in the game plan, or did this all just kind of happen? Um, the, the podcast is always something I wanted to do. I was just very scared to, to get, one, get involved and not be myself because I knew if I ever did join a podcast that I would handle it the way I've handled it. Um, and coming out of my career, I, I, I'd, uh, I'd signed with the coyotes for a year and that was, that was my stability. I was very happy that I'd, I'd gotten a job right out of playing with an NHL organization and, Although I was happy that I got that, I was a little bit scared too because I knew, knew I was never one to, to just kind of fall in line. I wanted to do my own thing. I like being my own boss. So I told, I told Wit, I said, let me get my feet wet here, see what I got, uh, and then I'll think about joining the podcast because I'd already been on a couple times and there was obviously a big reaction and they hadn't really developed a, a big Canadian fan base yet. And I could have brought them that based on my social numbers. And... And I, and I was willing to let it fly. So the first thing I actually got done out of playing after I'd signed that year contract with the Arizona Coyotes was I did that film project called Biz Does BC. Okay. And it was a very silly project. Barstool ended up purchasing it. And it, 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 you could tell as it goes on, my acting gets a little bit better. Now, when I say better, that doesn't mean it's good. So got, let me cut you off. Go ahead. So when you do that, the biz does VC, you just do that on your own, hoping yeah. that someone picks it up. So you just, you just say one day, I'm going to do this video and I'm going to shop around. I wanted to see what else I could do. I hadn't been really in front of the camera like that yet. And yeah. I kind of saw it going in the, in the way of content, right? Whereas if you're able to, to be in front of the camera, why do I need Sportsnet? Why do yeah. I need the Coyotes? I got enough people following me. I got just as many people following me as their main account. So why wouldn't I just go monetize it on my own and then not have to say it the way that they want me to say it? That, that was a big issue for me. I don't like being told what to say. And obviously it's gotten to a level with, with spit and chicklets and they're through barstool and they, I never hear from them. They've never yeah. called me one time about something I've said because they understand that I, I believe I know that line. I'm not racist. I'm not sexist. I may talk about things that you don't find funny or find, you know, not appropriate. But at the end of the day, I don't think I'm crossing that line. And I don't think I'm a bad person. So I'm able to still get to that line, one of which a lot of people out there still enjoy. But because these major networks work with these brands and they got to worry about these people bitching at them, they're constantly moving the needle. So it's hard to like, I might do a video with the Coyotes and four or five of the bits might get cut out of it by the end. And I'm like, come on. I, I, I'm looking like 
here because we can't push the envelope because you're worried about hearing from them. It's just like, why do I even bother? So it, it gives me a lot. And even like being on the, the being on Fox before pre, pre and post game with the Coyotes, I get nervous because I, don't, I have a feeling that one of these days I'm going to just kind of sit, slip out and, and say something wrong. So with, before I go on air with those guys, my anxiety is through the roof. So yeah, the reason why I told them to wait is because I wanted to see how the Coyotes thing went. It went good. I started pushing content. They saw it was for real. Uh, people ended up seeing the film project and we're all like, oh, shit, that wasn't bad for a dude who just picked up and, and kind of did all that himself with his buddy Pasha and with the help of Sound Guy and, of course, the characters you see along the way. And I was able to get, I think, 18 NHL guys to act in it not knowing what the f*** it was. So at, people might have watched it and been like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> But it, it gave me the ability to know how to work things behind the camera, organize things where I can have my own team, where if the NHL wants to hire me, I'm comfortable with the people I'm working with. It's They kind of – they stroke the big check, and they don't have to worry about all the – Yeah. So it's, it's nice, and it, and it taught me a lot of these different things, and that's what what's helped me not only jump on chicklets once I got established, but also take that to different, different avenues. Like, Wit is the star of the show to me. So and Ray does it. Ray does it every. Are you on every episode? Ryan, do it? Ryan. Oh, he oh, does yeah, that sorry, on purpose. Sorry, sorry. No, I don't. He's... I don't. Hey, watch the language, Paul. You're killing okay, us. Listen, senses. I have to watch my language, but you, you, you just took a shot at Ryan Whitney. I was not. I. That is totally sincere. I apologize to Ryan. I've never met him. I've never met him. That's why that happened. Tim, you're on my side. He was pulling my chain there. Correct. No, he doesn't mean to do it. He did it with that that video last year too. Oh, okay, all right. Fair I do enough. it. All, I do I it all it the time when we talk in the office. All the time, I say Ray all the time, and he corrects me. I'm just really bad. So, well, here's my question. I kind of went you, on a rant there. You but, but there's a lot the of different things. Like, it, that's yeah. that's kind of like all these different weird avenues that have have brought it to where it is now. Where you know, I'm having a good time. It's something new. It's, it's a wave and, and this thing might not be cool anymore in three years. And then, you know, I'll go to do something else that I maybe haven't done and want to try. So it's, it's just, just, I'm just having fun and trying things out. And you work with the NHL, you work with um, the Arizona Coyotes, you're yeah. doing stuff with major brands. Did they ever say like, it's just amazing to me that you can do the content with the chicklets and the NHL still wants to partner with you. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I've, I've heard, yeah, I've heard a few, obviously a few teams, I believe I, I, people, people complain about it. People don't yeah. want me getting checks from the NHL based on what I've said on the podcast. The NHL knows the coyotes know that I love all the people there. They're awesome. I've really enjoyed working with them up until this point. I, I am just being myself and yeah. if that's hurting their brand and they can't work with me anymore because of it. It's, I take no offense to it. And, and I would say, hey, thank you for all the opportunities I've been given through you guys. I understand what, what, why you have to go in this direction. I get it, but I want to stay true to myself. And, it's, and, and I get to do the podcast, which is the number one thing above anything else that I love doing. Like nothing's even a close second. Growing that and doing that is, is my, my – like I'm, I'm proud. I get up every morning trying to make it better and, and opening up different avenues and making the consumer's experience better. It's a, it's a, it's a lot, man. It's like, I work 80 hour weeks. It's a grind. You do a lot of stuff. Now here's a very serious question and I'm not meaning this as a dig in any way. You are at such a high profile. You are the most viewed person arguably in all of hockey, right? Do you ever 
as a role model, take that into account. Like you're influencing so many young kids. Has that ever come? Hundred percent. When you're when you're doing these stories and stuff, do you ever stop and think, well, maybe I should not say that? Is there anything you pull back? Like you say, you just let it all loose. Okay, well, first of all, I appreciate the compliment. I just think that, like, with the podcast like, being as big as it has and, like, us willing to put our, ourselves out there, it has gone yeah. to a big level, and, and I'm very appreciative for that. And, and yeah, with, with that comes influence, and I completely agree where you're coming from. I'm not going to bring my level of influence and uh, tardiness to a level of where, like, I'm, it's not me. Um, I respect somebody like, uh, I mean, you're a prime example. The fact that you won't even swear because you're concerned about how it may be viewed and how that's affecting others. And dude, I commend you for, for being walking that fine of a line and being that good of a citizen. I just, it would be exhausting to me and it wouldn't be being myself. And once again, it goes back to, I don't feel that I'm really causing any harm. And where I can show my examples is like with the ECHL player relief fund. Like I'm going to like, I can make jokes and joke around and be me and talk about drug use. And like, that's me. That's my experience. I'm not condoning any of that. That's the way I've decided to drive my own bus. I like doing a little bit of everything. Okay. What's over here poking my head in. All right, cool. That was different. Uh, Maybe not on an all the time thing. You know, like I've done, done, I've done it all. Yeah. Right. No, it's just such a, you, you, you are, you literally cover every, all the spectrums. Every single one you're touching there, you're like you're doing great things with kids. Then you're you're doing this over there with your that. Like it's it's just amazing. Like you would never think at the end of the day that you'd be setting up a relief fund for players. Or you'd be doing this kind of charity. You you do charity events all the time, you know. And then it's just it's cool to see. I I just was wondering if that was if that's a conscious thing you think about or yeah. If- I feel like I have to like those are the things where I have to show it now. And it's like, do I like you know not only it's like the time right now. It's like, I got to add another, is it? Yes. I I have to, I have to add 15 hours to my week in order to line up phone calls and talk to this sponsor here. Talk to that. Can you come in, man? Like it's a good cause, you know? And then some of the brands are like, yes, we're going to give 10% of our proceeds to that same fund too. On top of that. And it's like, you know, you got to organize all this and the, you know, working with the ECHL has been awesome working with Barstool and all these people behind the scenes have, have came forward in order to help these guys out. And yes, it, 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 I feel like I have to do it at this point. The game has given me enough where I can't just say, ah, not my problem. So that's where, that's where I'm at. So yes, I'll add the 15 or 10 or whatever hours moving forward to my plate. And, and so will those other people in order to do some good. You're a fascinating guy, Paul. You're a fascinating, fascinating guy. So What's next? Like you're killing it in the podcast. You're all over. You're really making a difference in that world. Like what are you, what's next? Like, have you ever thought that? Yeah. I mean, we're trying to, we're trying to shift our focus to uh, women's hockey. So there's another way. Okay. Um, Wit, Wit said it best. He goes, I might have a daughter one day and she needs role models to look up to and and to, Mm -hmm. in order to look at someone and say, I want to be that aspire to. Right. So, I I would say enough enough of our demographic might not be interested in women's hockey, but we're asking, hey, listen, give it a fair shake. These women are getting better; they're they're honing their skills. There's better development for them, and it's and it's getting competitive. Part of my yeah, no, it's good me. hockey. Sorry. Yeah, it's great hockey. 
So we want to direct a, a, a number of our followers who are down to give it a chance, who may not have before. Hey, look, get the eyes on this here. So, and we also want to drive more traffic to them and hopefully, you know, one day help direct more traffic to a league that's more sustainable where they can get paid a decent salary for what their skills are because they're going to be world-class athletes, right? I would yeah. say that a female world-class athlete should at least be making around 80 to 90 grand a year. And the then, of WNBA, course, yeah. you know, I mean, they need a decent, decent living. And then, of course, the better ones get better sponsorship because they're the, the stars and they, they fuel the machine, just as if, though, in the NHL. And, and, and yeah, I, that's, that's what I'm trying – that's another avenue that I'd like to help out. Whereas some of the, our following might be like, enough with this, where it's like, no, f- you. We have the platform. It's our call. Shut up. Fast forward if you don't want to listen to it. Huh. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertaining entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. That's BLUEWIRE. Bet online. Your online wagering experts. Tim, you going to pipe in or you got anything? Yeah, Biz, I want to ask you uh, kind of a hockey-related question, if that's okay, if we can bring it back oh, to the oh, uh, your career. Yeah, no worries. I uh, ramble a lot, boys. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's good. So uh, you had that stint with the Monarchs, and I want to ask you, first of all, I went to school in Manchester. I went to St. Anselm College. You might yeah. have practiced at that barn a couple of times. A lot of the Monarchs teams came through there. Um, and, and before I talk about the team, like, did you, what did you think of the city? Did you like it there? Did you guys go out? Did you have your favorite spots there? I was towards the end of my career, so I'd been going out to bars in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. So Manchester just, you know, wasn't really doing it for me. <laughs> a little and gloomy. It's a little gloomy. And, you know, we we had a pretty good team that year, and, and we, you know, we didn't lose many games. So I think we, we wanted to give it a fair shake going in. Obviously, some of the younger guys, like every Sunday or Saturday, if that was the last game of the week, would floor it. Now, there wasn't too many bar options. I will say the one bar, I, I forget the name, it's not coming to me. Well, one of the weekends, we were on, I believe we were on the road, and somebody was stabbed there. So it's like, boys, like we, we just lost our main hangout. I would tighten up the ship. We'll start doing house parties and stuff. But, you know, overall, the, the city was great. Um, you know, it was a great experience winning a Calder Cup there. And, and the, the biggest takeaway from it was just a group of guys. We had such a fun team. We didn't lose many games. And, and John, you know, when you're on a team where you, you – I think we lost 10 regular season games, and then we ended up losing three in playoffs, and two of which were in the, in the first round. We actually – we went to game five in the first round. We almost lost out. We were up 3 nothing in the first period. Um, you know, we, we were up 2 nothing in the series. We gave up two more games to them. We're like, oh, my God, all of a sudden we're in an elimination game here, and we were steamrolling everyone all year. Up 3 nothing in the first. Second period, they score three to tie it. <laughs> so I, I'm like, oh, geez. But we, luckily we ended up pulling one off. 
uh, getting past that. We didn't lose another game till the finals, and, and we steamrolled Utica 5-1. So the what was your ice time? What did you get in the A? Did you play quite a better? Uh, I was playing like five, six, maybe some okay. night eight. But I could not keep up anymore. These guys were flying. That was the time yeah. when all of a sudden you had to be a really good skater. There was no more, hey, now, you didn't skate well, you probably were not going to make it. I know so what speaking I speaking of that. Do you do you think people like overlooked the level of talent the players in the AHL have? And is there like you know is there kind of a misconception of how impressive it is to win the, the that cup? What is yes. What's crazy to me is how many of them refuse to maybe take on a few other bits of the role in order to get to the next level. Like That's they're all they've all been these skill guys their whole life who have all these skills and they can move fast and they're like they're most of them are big now too. I mean, I know little guys get chances, but I mean, there's these six, one, six, two guys are moving around like that. So it's like, okay, you can't be in a top six role, learn how to penalty kill, be willing to get in front of shots, uh, be a little bit more physical, maybe get a little bit more yappy and be willing to shed your mitts. And to, and to, and to be that guy nowadays, if you fight like seven times a year, they're like, Oh, this guy's willing to step up for his teammates. So it's not even that hard of a task where, I mean, John, you could attest to this before, if you want to do it, you had to be like uh, Dorset. Yeah. That guy in the American league was probably a buck 80 and was scrapping heavies every night. And he so was starting said, to chip yeah. in offensively in order to get to the next level. He had to add killing penalties, having a chip on his shoulder, being in everyone's face and eating punches from heavies for 30 yeah. games a year. Yeah, and, and Brandon Frost, there's a few guys who did Frosty. that. Brandon Frost did that for a while. Frosty was a lightweight, and he had to fight all the big boys. That's that's the thing I say to all these kids. I'm like, the guys I played with on the third and fourth line, in juniors, they put up 50 goals. They were the best players on their junior team. And they, they realized they weren't going to make it in the first line, and they just transitioned their game. Then you go to the AHL, those guys scored 50 goals in juniors. They just don't want to do it. They don't have it in them. They don't have it the guts or the drive to be like, I'm going to jump. And, and, and we are also getting to that level of, I don't want to say entitlement, but it's a lot softer nowadays than it used to be. Yeah. So even in the American league, this would have been hammered into them where they would be like, Hey, and, and, and they would always, I find even still the good teams is they draft to what they're going to mold that player into. A majority of these teams now, they kind of just throw it at the wall and hopefully it sticks. Whereas if you gotta you gotta be able to see something and say, Hey, I think this guy is gonna be a good third line center. I, I he he does it well enough and he can add enough offense at that level. He's got a good brain on him. We can you know, I think we got a third line center here. Whereas well, I, I don't, nuts, yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 a lot of teams throwing the wall and hopefully hoping it sticks, but well, that's also kind of the way the game's going a little bit too now, where these guys even when they get to the American League, most of them just go right to the NHL now and get power play and all this. When, when we were playing in the American League, even if you were a skilled guy, when you got to the A, you'd be on like the third or fourth line and you wouldn't yeah. get special teams. It didn't matter. You had to earn that ice time. And I think that, I, I think that a, 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 a nice mixture of both is a, is a good little concoction. Well, when I was in the A, when I got sent down at the end of my career, it was frustrating to see these guys with these unbelievable hands they were just all-world talents, first-round guys. I'm just like, man, you could be so good if you just only knew what you had to do. And I would sit them down and like, listen, if you want to play in the NHL, you got to do this, this, and this. And they couldn't do it. They would not lower themselves 
to that point, they said, no, if I go, I'm going to be on the power play. I'm going to be doing this first line. They couldn't, yeah. they couldn't get it through their head to be like, no. And now they're in the A. There was a few guys in, uh, gosh, in St. John's were like that. The, the, the reason I said accountability too is, is it's, it's very easy and you see it quite often is it's the, oh, it's the coach. Oh, it's the coach. Oh, it's the coach. And it's just like, yeah. okay, well, you're on your fourth team. Like, I don't know. Is it the yeah. coach? It's not the coach. It's you. It's your mentality. It's your, some, it's, that's kids these days, though. Some, some theories have proven wrong, though. I mean, a good example of that is Anthony Duclair this year. Dookie, yeah. Yeah, he's – I mean, I, I would have said this. I would have gotten to the point where I would have been like, damn, like he, I know he's a good dude. The guy's on every team that he plays for like him. He's an awesome guy in the locker room. No attitude <laughs> issues. I would have gotten to the point saying, I don't know, maybe he needs to adjust his game to, to fit more of that bottom six role. And maybe he needs to play with a little bit of an edge if he wants to stick around. But he finally got to Ottawa. He was given that confidence by DJ Smith. Is that how you say his name? DJ Smith? Is DJ Smith the head coach there? No clue. I believe it's DJ Smith. He was the coach for the Oshawa Generals. And he kind of just let him have the reins. And he said, yo, go, go prove him wrong. And he has. He ended up being an all-star this year. He did slow down a little bit in the second half. But nonetheless, man, 22-goal 20, season, I believe, when things got Yeah, I played, I played with him my first or his first year in uh, Arizona. Him and uh, Domi were tearing it up. And he yeah. had a ton of confidence. They were on the power play. They did, all the coach just said tips, just said go and, go and fly. Yeah. I and think then, that uh, it, was, it was weird how the, the decline happened fast here for Max Domi. And and yeah. I'm I'm confident when I say that sometimes a player definitely is a lot better in a different environment. And the reason I say that is is Max Domi came playing from London, Ontario. So every night, and I and I believe that there's um, a sense of showmanship, just like his old man with Max, where he likes playing in front of a full building. And I don't think that at the time when he was playing here and the team wasn't making playoffs and they weren't as competitive, I don't think it, the atmosphere got his juices flowing enough. And he did have a, an off year, and, and he was accountable about that. And then we were like, you know what? I think that he would have a better chance in a different environment. Shipped off to Montreal, had a great following uh, season. And then, of course, the, the Galchenyuk thing didn't necessarily work out here. So – um, sometimes I'm a firm believer, though, and some people are just better off in different environments. So going back to the theory on, yeah, if you change one team, it might work out. When you start changing three and four and it still hasn't worked out, it's harder for me, even as a player guy, to give you benefit of the doubt. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's the player at that point. You can only uh, give an old dog, ah, whatever, I don't even have an adage for that. How were you? Terrible. How were you? Were you stubborn about when they kept switching you around, or were you just – were you just grateful to be at the, the NHL level? That's why I stayed in the league for so long. I did not grumble at all. I just kind of, you want me at forward? I'll play forward. I'll play D today. You want me, you know, to be bag skating here, not playing there, do whatever I want. That's, you know, that's the role we had. I, yeah. I Again, I, I played with so many guys on the fourth line. They're complaining this and that. They didn't last long. No. They were, um, out of, they were out of the league so fast. Okay, here's a question for you. Would, would it ever get to you at least a little bit when you would go 10 games in a row being a health bomb? Well, yeah, like I, I would have conversations with the coach. I'd break my stick over the bench. I got kicked off okay. the ice in practice by Teddy Nolan one time. Like, Come it on. happened. Yeah, like it happens a lot where it happens. But then, you know, I, I compose myself and I go and apologize. Okay, and- so that's why I asked you at the start of the episode. Would, if you were more into your faith back then, you think you snapped that stick over the bench and, and yell at Teddy Nolan? 
No, no, I don't think so. I think, uh, well, you never know. I, I think hockey was my job. I was so upset. We were playing, gosh, who were we going to play that night? Were you I think swearing back then? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, you, so you've been able to cut the swear words out of your vocabulary. Yeah, I didn't. Not I didn't recording. No, well, no, and I don't swear when we're not recording. I, I try not to swear all the time just because that's what I believe in. But I wasn't a Catholic back then. I, I was just starting to learn the faith a little bit. So I was just getting indoctrinated in kind of what was going on. So I was still um, going back to your conversation earlier, though. And, and uh, I didn't feel it as like something you're like trying to push on me about setting a better example. I do believe, though, as time goes on, my inside needle will move just because you start realizing what's more important. I'm just not there yet. And I yeah. hope that if anyone's offended by what I'm doing now, maybe one day I'll eventually come around. But it ain't happening now because that's who I am at this moment. And that's, you know, everybody's got a different journey. And I, I'm one to attest to that. I had a rough patch too growing up. And I have just, the kids were a big thing. It's like, I don't want my kids seeing me or hearing me doing this. Yeah. Everything lives on forever in the internet, right? And so I don't want them pulling something up. They probably can already, but I'm just trying to leave my mark. Tim, that's way. why I like hanging out with people who, who have different opinions than me. Because I like to, I like to push I like to push on people's ideas and I like them to push back. You don't want to hang around with people that are just yes men constantly. You right. got to, I, I got to understand like, why, why do you think that way and break it down? And, and plenty of people have changed my mind on things where I'm like, damn, I never really looked at it like that. Yep. Can, I, I'm that, that opinion right there is worth me jumping my opinion now and I'll tip huh. of the cap. Everyone's different, Paul. Everyone's got their own journey. It yep. doesn't happen right at once for everybody. It took me um, nine years to kind of fully jump into the faith. So it just happens. Tim's probably the most time. mature guy on this chat right now, and we're trying to like big dog and being like, Tim, oh, by far. Tim when, I, when I used to go to school, I used to hike up uphill both ways in snowstorm. Oh, Tim. Tim's the man. Tim, you got a question? Tim's always got a question. Um. I mean, you guys, <laughs> I had like 50 questions, but you guys have had a Let's, different I'll rifle them off quick. I ramble on so much. To any of your listeners who are like, this guy's an idiot. Yeah. No, no. I like, I like the talk that we just had more than Tim. Tim's kind of, he parlays to the fans. He, he gives them what they want. I'll I don't give like the fans that. what they want. We yeah. were getting so a little Tim, deep there. We were just talking life stuff. We're, we're, uh, we're on our feelings right now, considering what's been going on. And, well, I don't care about doing... your hockey career. I really don't. And you don't care about my hockey career. I, I want to talk to you. So that's, that's where I'm at. Why well, do I know about your hockey mind. career? We had you on the know. podcast. Tim, fire away. Let's go. Hockey questions, oh. baby. All right. We'll do some rapid fire here. Let's go. Um, who was one player you always wanted to fight but never answered the, the call? I can't think of one person that I, I wanted to fight that bad who didn't want to answer the bell. I could, I could, I guess I could answer Sean Avery when he was in the AHL. He had just came back, and I believe that he had to do a conditioning stint for the Hartford Wolfpack, and that was after the whole Dallas thing had happened. And I was, you know, I, I was establishing myself at that point in time as, as a potential NHL fighter. Like, man, I wouldn't have considered myself a heavyweight, but I was doing it 30 times back-to-back years in the American League against the Sugdens, the Morastis, the Yablonskis. And I could, you know, I, I think I had – 11 goals one year maybe nine so Sean Avery was coming to town and you know that was a big deal and I was I said something in the paper and in warm-ups he was at the red line he's like why are you talking about me and he was just uh. being his arrogant self listen I I like Sean we talk very often I I think he's 
he is such a, a whack show, but I, I really embrace his personality. I can understand why people hate his guts. Um, but uh, he, so I went, I said, let's go. And he said, and then he basically said, if you fight Sugden, then I'll consider it. And he sacked Sugden on me and I, and I bucked up. I fought Sugden and, and he, you know, he bambied me. But, you know, it was just, I handled my business. I was like, you know, screw you. So I was a little pissed that he didn't fight me at that point in time. Oh, he, he didn't answer the bell after that. No, <laughs> no, he's, you know, he wasn't going to deal. Oh, at that point not. in time, I was an AHL pigeon. This guy probably had 16 sheets in the bank. I wouldn't yeah. have been fighting me either, <laughs> especially if funny. I was his size. So uh, that was a little story about then, but uh, Sugden's a beast. Did you he ever fight him? Guy. No, never, never. I didn't. I didn't fight much in the A at all, oh, really. Man, I, I got I got worked in the American Hockey League, like Jeremy Oblonsky twice in one game. Just I, you know, you know, one of those beatings where it like hurts to put on your helmet for like a week. That you know what? People, I, 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 people, I don't know what it was. No one ever asked me to fight, and I wasn't looking for it in the A. Like if someone fought, like my first fight, I fought DJ King, and I did pretty well. Oh man, that guy! And was... I think word got around where like, okay, just give him some space. And it's not like I was asking D- everybody and their brother. DJ King was the guy where any given night, if he fought, there was a chance that he ended a guy's career. Yeah, he was scary. He scary punched. Dude. He punched to the back of your head, like it, where the fist was coming out on the other side. I have. I will say, I never stood in there like some of these guys do, like Josh Gratton. I wasn't one of those guys. And if anything, I would probably say a lot of traditional hockey fans who like the hardcore fighting despise me because I do. I did that jersey jab a lot. But, yeah. man, look at the face, my the beating my face took with, with doing that most of my yeah. Those guys who stood in there, sometimes they got their brains scrambled really bad. And I was that? fortunate in my career where not too many times, if any – was I laid out flat on the ice. And then yeah. that's a scary thing. And some of these guys, I tip my cap to them, especially the guys from the 80s, like the Proberts and the Domies. These guys were really, really punching to hurt themselves. Oh, was there, was there a moment in your career as you were coming up that you realized you'd have to add fighting to your game in order to carve out a, you know, a career in the NHL? Was there like a, a revelation that happened? No, well, the writing was on the wall. As I, they called me up from the uh, East Coast Hockey League. And, you know, I'd been doing well as a defenseman there. I, I made the all-star team two uh, back-to-back years. Um, but I think that they basically said, I don't, we don't think that you're smart enough as a defenseman and skilled enough to be able to make the NHL as a defenseman. Do you want to try out as a, as a fourth-line forward? You're an okay skater. You just got to be responsible on the walls and you're willing to fight. You know, that was, that was a prototypical fourth-line fighter role. And, and once again, I wasn't a plug, you know, I was, I was, I was, they could rely on me to go out there and not be that bad. I wasn't a complete liability. So that's when I, 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 I basically realized I have to add that to my game and do it full time in order to have a, a chance at getting to the next level. Because John, and you'll attest to this, it's amazing when you start climbing leagues and especially when you get to the NHL. The, the high-end skill guys, it's its insane how good these guys are. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, your job as a fourth-line guy, I've said it many times, is to not get a minus and maybe chip in a plus once every five games. They, That's your job. If I got uh, – there's a couple times where you get caught out there against world-class players. Like I think one time in Chicago we, had, we got caught D-zone draw against Taves, Kane, 
and I forget who oh, the other so. guy was. And they were just – it was like they were swarming. There were swarming sharks coming out for that face-off. And I already had the chopstick dance going. So I was about 35, 40 seconds already on the ice. And I didn't have stamina back then because I would get two, three shifts a period. And, John, you know, you lose your you, – the minute you start going fast and up to NHL speed, your, your legs start tiring out quick. So – these guys, like, they just were buzzing in our end. And they they were, like, three moves ahead before I'm, like, <gasps> like I could – and I'm, I'm just, like, I need to get off the ice. And, and they, no- <laughs> we didn't get scored on. We didn't get scored on because I think, I think Smitty did, like, Cirque du Soleil. He was on, like, a wiring act doing all these backflip saves. That was, that was no. a year that Smitty uh, went on that crazy run. Where he was, he was the best goalie on the planet. At least he's I thought. He's such a good goalie, and he's big. He's like six five, so so flexible. There's nothing worse than icing the puck. You look at your coach, and he's shaking his head. He's like, "What are you doing? You can't change." And you see the top line to skate now. And I, like, I believe they oh. changed a rule where you couldn't call the timeout. And yeah, and, and, and whoever made that rule, cool. You know that scene in uh, what's the scene with uh, not Happy Gilmore? The, the they go to school. Billy Madison. I'm gonna be the guy putting on my lipstick and, write, and writing that guy's name on it because he's, oh, he's getting it. Whoever it's a good rule. Him. It's a really good rule though because you get when you get hemmed in there and you ice it. I've had times where I've iced it three or four times, and it's like just to get a breather. Someone breaks your stick on the draw on purpose. They made that rule, and they were thinking, oh, man, imagine the fourth line cut out there and you can't call a timeout. Yeah, that's like one goal a game. Yeah, let's put that rule in there. It's terrible because, yeah, you, you, there is a difference between fourth line and first line. It's just yeah. it's terrible. Yeah, you don't want to get caught out there. But I will say since the NHL has progressed, I would say the, the difference between fourth liners now is a lot – there's a lot less of a gap. Oh, for Cause, sure. Because now for it's sure. like you have to, requirement is you have to be a good skater, as we were mentioning before. So um, I don't know. I don't know how many old school hockey fans listen to your podcast, but it does definitely take another element out of the game that some fans did enjoy. I say all fans enjoyed. Yeah, all around. Like, who doesn't love a big guy lumbering around, getting up and down on the forecheck? It's just a fun thing to watch. I don't know. I think it's gotten to a perfect place, Tim. I'll let you ask another question. I'm sorry. One more, uh, Tim. This is getting long. Yeah, last here. question. I guess, do you remember like a, a kind of wow factor moment in early in your career? Like, I can't believe I'm on the same ice as Yager or Lidstrom or someone like that. Did you ever have like a, a moment like that? I mean, I, I mean, I came up with Crosby and Malkin. So yeah. just even being in the same presence as them is wild. Uh, I tell the story on our podcast. I don't know how many of your listeners have heard this one. Um, we were at training camp. I believe it was the year I ended up making the team. Um, no, it was a year after, excuse me. It was the year after that I'd played half the season. Okay. So we were in training camp and that was the year I ended up getting picked up off waivers by Arizona. And based off all the bonuses that Evgeny Malkin had hit, he was going to get a massive check. Okay, I didn't really know much about contracts back then. So we're riding the bike beside each other before we're going out for one of these scrimmage practices. And Frank Bonomo, or one of the people in PR, ended up dropping off an envelope. And, you know, I was close enough with him where I could be like, you know, Gino, what's in the envelope? So he, like, looked, and then he, like, slid it over, and I looked in it, and it was just under a million bucks. <sighs> just that it, he, he'd hit all of his bonuses and stuff. Did he, did he end up winning the con Smite that year, too? 
Probably. Yeah. He went off, I believe. And that was part of the bonus as well. So he'd hit so many of these things that uh, he got a check for just under a million bucks. And I was riding right next to him. So that was kind of a, a like, oh my God, this guy is, is going to make a boatload of money playing this game. He'll, he'll be, he'll be probably well over a hundred million when he's done. So that was a cool moment. Uh, Nicholas Lidstrom on the ice when I was in warm up uh, against Detroit, once I'd started Twitter he, he just was like, hey, love your Twitter, man. And like tapped me on the shin pads. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Nick funny. Lindstrom tapping me on the shin pads. And I believe the night before was Oliver Ekman Larson. I think it was the first time that they were going to face off against each other. And, you know, them being from Swedish, Sweden, yeah. I mean, you know, Oliver probably looked up, looked up to him his whole life. And I don't think at that point in time Oliver had had my number because he was up and down. But uh, I – it might even have been the next year. It was his first year. And I, I texted him pretending in Swedish because I used Google Translate to ask him out for dinner and then blew him off. No. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that he – but he kind of knew what was going on because he ended up texting one of the guys like, hey, is this one of the guy's numbers? And some guy was like, oh, yeah, it's business. <laughs> it's an and Arizona that's number. That's <laughs> a, no, no. It was a, a Washington, Pennsylvania number. So. Oh, that's so anyway, funny. But, uh, yeah, the, so the Lidstrom one was, 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 was very cool. Um, but yeah, just do just being around it. And the fact that's even gotten to where that I get to interact with these guys on a daily basis. I'm a hockey fan, uh, first and foremost, and I'm just the average Joe from Welland, Ontario that ended up making it to the NHL. And, you know, so I, I'm, I'm grateful every day with the way the path has gone. And even early on when it wasn't going the way I thought, and even when at the end of my career, I got sent down to the American league. It's like, it's, I believe it's true. You're, you're being led down this path and, and things do happen for a reason. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. Um, and and uh, thank you guys for listening. Yeah, Biz, thank you. I was just about to close it out. We really appreciate it, man. Sincere interview. Really, really well thought out. You're just a class act, my man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, bud. Mm-hmm.